Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. It's preseason. Things are heating up. The anticipation is high for the hunting season finally getting here. It's been a long summer, spring, a good summer, spring, but lots of hard work, strategy, planning that's happened. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by Mike and JJ Ducart. And we're talking about some cool things today. We're talking about a lot of the work that we did in the spring and summer months. And we're talking about the prep that we are doing now uh, leading up to the fall and some of that anticipation, some expectations, and then some of the cool stuff that we have planned for this fall. So uh, guys, we had a great day out on the Whitetails from Scratch property yesterday. Um, what have you been up to? Let's let's cover some stuff that you've been doing out at the Whitetails from Scratch property. Yeah, trying to get out there has been tough. We're releasing all this new content, you know, hunt breakdowns, podcasts, all kinds of videos. So yeah, um, trying to get out there as much as possible because that's where we love to be is outside, out in the woods and, and shooting our bow. Yesterday we were shooting the bow, crossbows. I know Mike and Adam were dialing in the 10 points. Um, we'll dive into a little bit of plans for them this this fall. But yeah, just kind of dialing in the gear. Final prep on food plots. We're going to be fertilizing next week with some liquid fertilizer and doing a lot of testing with that um, side of the property still too and just dialing back our human intrusion here in the next few weeks and getting our gear all prepped yeah you know what a lot of people uh, i'm not sure excuse me a lot of people may not realize is they think you know oh the deer society property it's got bucks on it all the time you know that's not the case necessarily out there we're set up kind of diverse and a, a lot of our bucks come in later um actually any time now um and it kind of gives us a little bit of anxiety we don't worry about it during the summer because we're doing a lot of work out there <clears throat> we're doing a lot of habitat things like that and we don't really care if the bucks aren't there at that time but once they start to utilize the property the way we have it set up um we kind of understand, we're getting an understanding of their behavior based on the things that we're doing. And that's why, like JJ's talking about food plots, we're getting them dialed in. Um, we'll be doing trail systems, getting them cleaned up. And then we'll be setting our trees next, our tree stands, which I will be extremely careful with this year, just because I blew out my Achilles in uh, calf last year. I don't know, if maybe people didn't know that, but I thought my whole season was done and actually that particular incident created something new on the property that has turned into quite the little gem, the, the bat blind. Yeah. And the bat blind, um, is something that, uh, is kind of Mike's favorite little honey hole on the Whitetails from scratch property. And, uh, if you haven't seen it on one of the, the previous Whitetails from scratch episode, um, we have another one that's, that's coming out here, uh, just very shortly that we kind of highlight some new additions that we made to the bat blind this year. And, uh, really cool spot down in there. Uh, Mike, do you want to talk about kind of that spot set up and how the bat blind works, uh, right where kind of it is within the property? Yeah, you know, I and it just it just hit me now as I'm sitting here processing the bat blind and I'm going to call it a system, okay? Because it started out as just a place for me to go so because I was in a boot, you know, on crutches, <clears throat> but it turned into something where I was able to study animal behavior 
And it's it, we, we set it up like a transition system, if you will. So the deer are coming out of the timber. We put food in there that we would, I'm going to call it browse food, you know, your brassicas and, you know, your... Um, the different grasses and things like that, that, that we're experimenting with, but they'll come out and they'll do that grazing. They'll start out early and then they'll work and transition there. And it's kind of a social gathering and they'll go in and they'll mark the territory. It's kind of a social place where they hang out and then they go for dinner in the evening out in the ag fields. Okay. So the thing that kind of just came to me is that if you have a small property what we've done with this bat blind is perfect because it's right in a, it, the key to it was to take away the human intrusion element because the bat blind is located right at the farm site. Okay. The barn was there. The house is there. People live in the house. Um, the sheds are there. All that, all that human activity right at the farm house site. Um, that's where the bat blind is. And so it's a natural building um, so that they've been seeing at forever for generations and generations. But we made it so that we've created these big walls. And so these walls are what? How tall are they now, JJ? Yeah, I think they're probably... <laughs> I know, my chair's going down, dropping Like down. 12 feet. He's laughing at or me. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was out there yesterday. Look, I actually parked the golf cart next to the wall, and they haven't even tasseled yet uh, that some of that Egyptian and sorghum and whatnot. The mix we got out there and the golf cart was probably four feet lower than the wall height, which is, um, it's actually the wall is almost as tall as the blind. Yeah. The, the roof line on that shed now. Yeah. That there's a shed there and I don't know how tall it is, but yeah, the, that Egyptian wall, it's a new mix that we're experimenting with. And anyway, so it creates this seclusion. So now you got this room where <laughs> if you're watching this on video <laughs> online, my chair keeps going down and everybody's laughing at me right now, but I think I hit rock bottom on the chair. <laughs> so now I'm like four foot two here. Nope, there it went again. It's like looking it's at the little kid over there. Going. <laughs> but anyway, so we got this wall up and we learned from the year before because we put the wall up before to just kind of make that food plot so that they'd come out and they'd feed there right in the evening. And... It got to be where I would sit in that blind and then the, the, the people, the renters would come home and the deer would clear the field and then they'd come back. And it was kind of a ritual every day. Um, you got to remember this property that we bought four years ago was hunted so heavily and it was so aggressively and people moving in on it. And, and anyway, long story short, they're starting to calm down now to the human pressure because we've removed the majority of the human pressure in this whole area. And that's what's bringing in these deer at different times of the year. And that's what's holding these deer. So that's really the strategy behind it. But if you have a small property and there's inhuman, there's human pressure there, I would say the farm site is we're looking at what about a 10 acre, not even really five acres and it's bordering timber. And there's a little bit of room there to put some ag in. So we got little cornfields in there. And so we wall off this area on the outside edge of the farm site of the buildings. We use the one building for the blind, the bat blind. And then we put an overhang we built over that window that we cut in the wall, which was just a flush wall. That overhang now acts as a um, light suppressor. So 
the light isn't getting in and you can literally get within two, three feet of that window and they can't see in because it's, it's the darkness of it, you know, and you got the whole building is sealed up, the whole shed. So everything's dark in there, just like a, a ground blind. And so we created a little platform, got, you know, nice chairs, everything's comfortable. You can film, you can move. The deer have no idea you're there. Um, but if you have a small property, set yourself up a room like this. And, and I'm sure it would work. I don't know why it wouldn't work. You know, you got food, you got transition, you get make it a social thing. They will come in a secluded area. The seclusion is the key. And so if you have that seclusion, you have create that social area. We're using the, the, the hodag licking stick. Is that correct? And now I can control where the scent communication is going to be going on. Now, last year we didn't use that. So they came in and naturally created their own scents and their own licking branches, their own scrapes, and they were visiting them consistently. So anytime a buck comes in the field or an older doe comes in the field or even some of the younger deer, they'll walk by that, smell it, maybe lick, you know. And so who's here? And it's a social area. So that's what we created there. And I could watch the entire process unfold where the does, first thing they did was kick away their their button bucks, okay? So they kicked them out of there. The second thing they did was they would get a little bit irritable right before the rut started, and you could see them kind of pushing away then the doe fawns. And then it got to a point where they were actually fighting and angry and pinning their ears back, and they didn't do that the whole season. And they just started, and all that started happening, I'm seeing all this weird, erratic behavior of, Older does chasing other does and trying to hit them, you know, smack them with their hooves and chasing off fawns and chasing off little bucks, just angry. You could see it happen. And I knew they were going to be in estrus within a day or two. And ex that's exactly what happened. And then it all unfolded, you know. Yeah, and kind of stepping back from all that just to lay out the setup of the bat blind, I think we're going to break that down a little bit on whitetails from scratch. I don't know what you guys jumped into on those interviews, but basically it's a spot that, you know, the deer, we gave them that, sec that seclusion with the wall. Um, we're testing because whitetails from scratch is basically a big testing ground. We're testing five different types of plot seed brassicas in different areas to see, because it's like watching a video. I mean, you can just see the deer come in. They don't know you're in the bat blind filming it all. Um, you can, we're going to see which seed variety they like the best so it's a good testing ground there and different times of the year what they're eating too yeah and when they mature and all that's kind of maturing right now or not maturing but growing to where the deer are going to start to want that type of food as season hits so we time that really well also and then like we like you said we went through with the the odeg licking stick as kind of a community hub 25 yards out from the bat, bat blind to give you a good shot or hopefully pull them into that spot we put a the licking branch on the back corner for some intel on camera and for some video on that back corner. And then as the deer transition over across the creek to the corn, we put the hemp rope system. So we're testing that as well, documenting that whole process. And then we did something kind of cool over in the corn this year. We'll have to get a drone shot of it. I don't know oh, if we yeah, have one right. yet, but we mowed into the corn, did a big kind of circle loop and then mowed the way back out and then tilled it and put rye in the inside because our corn grew so thick that we didn't think the deer would actually be able to access most of the corn on the center of those big one acre plot. 
So he yeah. mold, mold the inside out a little bit, gave them a spot so they can actually work it from the inside out. So I'll, I'm going to elaborate on, on that a little bit because it was, that was a learning experience for us. So <clears throat> what we did is we got some new equipment, um, some new toys. We got a skid loader and then we got a big, um, what would you call it? A brush mower pretty much. It can take down what, four to six inch saplings. But we use that for mowing down the corn and then, of course, our walls in the spring. And so never had done this before yet, obviously. This is the first time we've ever used the equipment and whatnot. So I go out there, and the farmer's getting ready to plant, and we're going to do corn on corn. So I go out there, and I just hammer it down, and I'm learning the equipment. So I, you know, there was a lot of what we learned. First of all was we had more food than we needed from a corn perspective. And the tornado okay. knocked it down. And which, the, you're right, we did. We had a tornado come through late that year, or December. heavy winds, and knocked the corn down. So anyway, maybe that kept them from going in there comfortably and feeding. But there was a lot of corn left over in that field. And so I went in there and I chopped it all up, mowed the whole thing down flat like a garden. And then the farmer came in, tilled it, planted this and that. Well, all that volunteer corn came up, and it was thick like a thing of grass i mean it was solid corn so now you can tell the difference between the stuff that you know is planted and the volunteer because they're different you know it's a little greener and it goes a little and you can see the actual roll so we tried running it over um we talked to the ag guy said hey if it gets a certain size you can run it over so i we we took the tracks and we walked <clears throat> excuse me went through and ran it over thinking it was going to kill a bunch of it and it helped a little, but it didn't really do near what we needed it to do. So this cornfield was so thick, and that's where what just – actually, I was just kind of thinking about it with J.J., and I'm like, you know what, Jay? Here's what I'd like you to try. Let's experiment. I got these deer transitioning out of the timber. They're going into the social field. Then they're transitioning over where we got the hemp rope, and they're going to check that one out. That's a separate room. There's water in between the two. Okay, a spring. So you got bedding, you got food, you got a drink of water, you got another social area, social area, and then you have the um, ag, which is the corn. What I'd like you to do is cut a trail into that thick corn because it was too thick anyway, right? And then make a maybe we should make a big open area and throw in some different food in there. So basically, it becomes a room within a food plot, you know, and we processed, processed that a little bit, and he's like, heck, I, I love that idea. So then he came up with this, you know, little scheme and strategy and architecture and how he went to do it, and turned out pretty dang good. So that's going to be exciting to see. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think them deer are going to walk right exactly where I want them to walk every single time now. You know what's really cool about this whole scenario is, this isn't a very big, you know, when, when Mike talks about it, when you talk about it, it's, you know, there's this and then there's a water in between it and then there's this. This area that we're talking about is not very big at all. Like it is, it's interesting because if you looked at this with a drone, for example, you know, you look at it and it's like, oh, well, that's right next to the farmhouse and the area is not very big. But then you walk in there, right? And there's this screen on the front. And you're in that little secluded food plot and you couldn't tell that there was a farmhouse anywhere around there, you know, you know, and then looking at this spot again, from a more micro level, there's so many details now within this little small area that 
it's going to be so interesting to see how the deer utilize it now versus how they utilized it last year. And, and just to be able to document that and compare, it's going to be really cool. You guys have, have between the seed that you put in the ground and the wall and these different, uh, scent community areas that you've created, um, you know, it'll really be cool to see how the deer use those. So obviously you're running, you know, you, you put this licking stick up, you put the rope up, you've done these things. You're obviously running reveals in that spot. What have you seen so far? So we, we you know, it's been a, a few weeks since we've been out there or you guys been out there. What do you see and what are the reveals showing you? Yeah, a lot of does, <clears throat> a lot of does right now, um, which is, you know, that's good. We want to get the doe traffic in there. And then as things transition, you know, we, we assume the bucks are just going to kind of play into the game like they have the past few years. And I was just, while you were talking there, I was just thinking, you know, most people I think would look at that and, you know, what we did last year was really good. I mean, pretty much a lot of the same strategies, but maybe half as much um, opportunities or, you know, we didn't have all the scrapes and all this other stuff going on. You passed up a lot of good deer. Passed mm -hmm. up a four-year-old buck. Yep. Really close to getting onto a five-year-old buck. Well, let me... Well, why would you change that, you know? Right. Why are you crazy? Why don't you just hunt it the same? You got a five and six-year-old buck now. Well, because we want to test. We want to improve. We want to see how the deer change. So we're... It's like... I think most people would be stuck in like if it works just don't don't change it we're trying to see is there something better well i'm going to answer that question why would you change it this is exactly why i wanted to change it and <clears throat> and i was lobbying for it hey, we need a post out there we need a post out there is because what i noticed is your does are coming in or they don't care you know your ones your twos and even some of your threes don't really care either they're just going to come out there and they're going to interact and they're going to they're going to mingle but the bucks, the older bucks, your, especially your four on up, okay? When I would see a buck, a four and a half year old, and I seen him a couple times, they come in and they check that room out, but they're skittish. Anything will bump them out of there. And they, they stay tight to the wood line. They stay tight to the wood line. They'll come out and they'll nibble a little and they'll go through the plot, but they'll stay out to the outer edges of it. They'll hit some of the scrapes. They'll look at some of the licking branches. And they'll look to see, is there a doe here? You know, he can smell if she's in heat. So then it would be a different situation. But if I don't have a hot doe walk within shooting range, what am I going to do? If I want that buck to come in, I got to do something different. So what did I do? I got the decoy out. We call him Dave. It's Dave Smith decoy. And if you haven't seen one of these decoys, <laughs> I've used it a number of times. They're a full body decoy. And they're a molded rubberized, and they're heavy. It's not something you're just going to grab and take down in, into the middle of the timber and, and hike out with it. It's special situations where you can get there and you can get that decoy either stored in an area, which is perfect for the bat line, obviously, or drive your truck up there, place it, get in there early enough, you know, where you're not bumping deer. Anyway, it's just one of those situations for that decoy. So I thought, I'll bring that decoy out there. And it, they're so good, I remember sitting in tree stands, and you'll sit there for hours, and all of a sudden, every time you just kind of swivel your head or your eyes, you see that decoy, and you forget you have it there, and you think a buck is standing right there. That's how realistic these things are. They're, they're crazy real. So anyway, that's my, that's my pitch for Dave Smith decoy. But um, So I put the decoy out there. I take Dave out, put him out there, and I'm thinking, I want to get, uh, it was curly fry, wasn't it? Yeah. I want Curly Fry to come in deeper into the field because he's crossing that outside edge. He's checking that scrape, and then he's just kind of drifting off, getting water, and just keeping his distance, you know? And so 
One thing about a decoy, if you put a decoy in a transitional area like this, a social area where you get traffic pretty much daily. I mean, I was seeing anywhere from 8 to 15 deer every single time I'd go in there. And so it's consistent. And if you put a decoy in there, the does, the older does especially, they don't like it. Okay, because they don't like a new buck in there. It makes them feel uncomfortable. So you're kind of messing things up a little bit. So my strategy was instead of having it sit there all day and all evening and all, whatever and, and bump the deer, I'm going to go out there in the morning and I'm going to put them out there. It's going to be dark out. And if one of the bucks, had, they had been, we'd pattern them, you know, with our reveals that the shooter bucks were walking through right around shooting light which is real common for that time of the year. And so I thought, I'm going to get this decoy out there. Instead of having them skirt us, I'm going to have them come up and challenge this, this, this buck. And I'll be dang if it didn't work perfectly. And so it was just daybreak. And I, and I knew it was curly fries, so I knew I wasn't going to shoot him. Okay, I had the binos on him. And it was, I think it was even foggy that day. And this deer comes in, and he's bristled up, and he's coming across. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go. Now, Dave is only four yards away from the bat blind, right on the edge of the, of the uh, cover or the, uh, the wall, you know, the Egyptian. So I had him right there and I got it cut down a little bit. And I thought, all right, I'll get him right there. I'll get good footage. He come in and he's, and I'm getting this footage and everything else. And I mean, I'm focusing on the camera and everything. All of a sudden I just, just boom, and literally that quick. He charged that decoy flattened it to the ground, bent the metal stand flat, broke the antler off, and was gone in like a, 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 it had to be a second or maybe less than a second. I don't know. But it's the fastest, most aggressive, violent thing that I've ever seen in real life with a deer. You know, and we've seen deer fight before and stuff like that, but I've never seen anything like that. I, and I thought to myself, if I ever had an injured deer, you know, maybe I could get on him and cut, you know, cut his throat or something. You know, you got that little thought process in your mind. Do not ever even think about that because those deer would kill you in a split second. A full, you know, it's a four and a half year old deer would kill you in a split second if he charged you as a human like that. There's nothing you could do about it. So that was an experience that was, you know, really crazy. But so back to the, the original point, how do we get that deer and why are we making these changes? That's why we made that change with the, with the licking stick. Yeah, and the spot sets up perfect for a good north, north wind, cold front, easy yep. in, easy out. Those are some of my favorite spots, and that's probably the type of hunter that in summer I am is just, you know, if you can give yourself a chance but not – blow up the property, kind of just hunt the edge a little bit. That's the kind of hunting I like to do. So that spot's set up perfect. It is. So, you know, that's one, you know, improvement area of the Whitetails from Scratch Farm. Obviously, there's a lot more. Um, one of the things that you guys spent a bunch of time doing this year was clearing. So taking already existing food plots and changing them a little bit or clearing them out and making them a little bit bigger. Um, I want to kind of look at... Uh, captain's corner right now so uh this is more on that east side let's talk about um just your strategy there so it was a food plot kind of before but you went in there and kind of made a big change to it this year so 
JJ, walk me through the strategy behind that, kind of what it started as and what it's going to be this year. Yeah, so really what Andy drew out in the mapping system on the front end of the whole design, <clears throat> it was just a lot more ag over there in that top <clears throat> where we have a lot of cedars and stuff. So just kind of looking at areas that we have open already and try to work off of that and try to make it, you know, an easier process than going into a new spot and trying to, you know, blast through a bunch of open or a bunch of timber and stuff. So just kind of worked off Captain's Corner, doubled the plot a little bit with that skid steer in the grapple bucket, took a couple days pulling trees out, stacking them up, um, and then trying two new blends over there too for uh, food plots. So again, another testing site for our, our different seeds and stuff that we're trying out this year. Give them a little bit more food, um, trying to get some good access screening. We threw a little bit of that wall on the back side of that plot too. Um, brush pile, and then we're actually going to try to hunt that one with a blind this year because it's an area where there's there are no trees that you can really jump up into. So I'm going to try a ghillie blind. Um, try to put that out this next week and see how the deer reacts. So again, one more thing that we're trying to test how the deer are going to react to a, a blind on the ground. I know we've, we've hunted out of pop-up blinds a lot, just your yeah. standard hub style pop-up. Um, that ghillie blind just seems like something different, something, I'm just curious. I've never hunted out of one, never even used one, looked at one in person, but you see the photos and you see, you know, we talked to rising about it a little bit and some other guys, homegrown guys, Jeff over there. They've been using them, so you know. Well, I think give it's them a look, shot. Yeah, I mean that's one of the big challenges with blinds is how do you make it melt in with the the natural surroundings as though it's vegetation or something? Well, coming from the Marine Corps, obviously, them ghillie suits were used for snipers forever, and you can't. You, I, I'm not kidding you. You cannot see them guys. Yeah, you can't see them. And I think it's hard to say. Some properties, the deer just get used to the blinds and they're hanging out under them. And, you know, you know, you kind of know that scenario on some of your spots that you hunt and film and whatnot. We don't have a lot of experience with big tower blinds. So our deer aren't used to that. Um, yeah, we don't, we haven't used them. We're still not sure exactly where and how we would use them quite yet. We will be using them at some point. And this is going on our, what, our fifth year. Yeah. We just don't have quite have everything dialed into a point where we want to put a specific blind in a specific spot. And if we do, it will be vegetation oriented. So it's not like it's going to be, you can see it from the highway as you drive by. Yeah. And Ben, I was talking to rising. Um, he said, if you're going to get the ghillie blind, they work phenomenal. The deer don't look in them, but he's like, I like to keep on the ground. So he thought, you know, it looks so great. Don't put it up in the air because then you're taking this awesome looking ghillie blind and you're exposing it. So I guess my strategy is going to be keep it on the ground instead of raising it up like some of the hard blinds. But yeah, just a big But there are a couple experiment. areas where we could experiment elevating it in, like you can put it in a pocket of cedars and let the cedar, you know, don't go above the skyline of the cedar, keep it within the cedar. And then, so then you'll have like background, you'll have foreground, you'll have 3D, then you'll have the ghillie, and then you just cut your, you know, your holes for seeing and shooting and filming. Yeah, I, I think that's the way to do it. You know, it, it's interesting. You see a lot of guys these days that are hunting out of these, these big blinds. I mean, juries have done it for years now, and, and I think they kind of popularized it uh, from a, a television standpoint, but putting these blinds out in the middle of nowhere, like in the open, and, you know, they were having success out of them. I think it depends on your deer. I think, you know, what they've grown up with, what they've tolerated, the pressure. So there's a lot of variables there. I do think, though, too, like 
when you look at blinds, if you're going to tuck one in and make it invisible, like that's obviously a great thing. But if you're going to kind of half-ass it, kind of try to tuck it in, like I'd almost rather, if you're getting it out there with plenty of time, get it out there in the open because I feel like deer, and again, there's variables here, but if they can if they can see it, they understand it's there, They are and, and they can get to a point where they're comfortable with it and don't see it as a threat, I think it's almost better, and this is just an opinion, but I think it's almost better for them to see it out there in the open then if you're kind of maybe trying to semi tuck it in and it's like, it's almost like that secret thing. Like they feel more comfortable when they can fully grasp it versus like, well, maybe they're trying to hide from me a little bit and I don't like that. So I'm going to kind of stay away from it. So just some interesting different thoughts there on, on how to position a blind. And I don't think there's one right answer. I think, you know, depends on your deer herd and the pressure too, but. I've well, seen it work both ways. Well, if we can shoot a deer like Roman out of one, like Rising did, then that's worth it. Yeah, we're definitely going to learn how they react to it. And, you know, time time makes a difference, and deer personality either makes a difference, and time of the year makes a difference. I mean, if it's a hot doe, you could be standing out there with a polka dot swimsuit on, and they're going to still walk by you if a hot doe walked by you. So, Well, I'm excited. From experience. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm excited about it. And that's what's cool about the bat blind and, you know, hunting from the ground. I mean, that, that makes some of the best footage too. I mean, you look at Curly, you look at, you know, just any footage from that ground eye level, you take that intimacy factor to a whole new level. So like, you know, getting the ghillie blind on the ground, you know, hunting from the ground a little more, I think is, you know, provides some pretty cool content. I'll tell you what, in this to me, and not, not, not just because J.J. is my son, but if, if you haven't seen, or even if you have seen it, the Curly video, watch it again and watch J.J.'s face because he's got a camera facing him and he's pale the way it is. But his face, you can just see the expression. He was just, that was one of the most defining moments of his hunting career that he's ever experienced in his life. To see a deer that he's chased that many years that we've been chasing, both of us, and then have him 20 yards away, ground level, especially with the wind going out that way. You can just see his face, his eyes just the size of saucers, you know, and pupils just wound dilated. And it, that, that's cool stuff to look at. Well, that's the example of, you know, you have a plan, you always think it's going to happen, and then... But in the back of your mind, you're kind of like, no, this isn't really going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and then you see them and it actually happens. And then, yeah, that's that's the example of that. Your eyes just, yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's a pretty, crazy feeling. Pretty epic one. Well, he comes out and he's got just like, there's snow and he's got these super white horns, but they're against this completely dark cedar tree. So it's just like, makes him, I mean, he's he's 180 inch clean 10 pointer as it is, but I think he looks 210 you know when he's standing there because it was white rack and that contrast like i can only imagine what that feeling is like but um yeah obviously great when a plan comes together so lots of other work too on the white tails from scratch property obviously we've talked and, and we did a podcast kind of uh talking about some of the food plot testing and and we'll obviously do a follow-up one coming up here soon i think the plan is to to go out to the plots next week kind of evaluate what they look like what's you know, uh, the, the next steps, I know you're going to do some fertilizing, um, and, uh, really just get those solidified and dialed, um, for, for the fall coming up here. Um, 
as far as, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as other work, you know, things that have been going on around the Whitetails from Scratch Farm or just preparation work, what else have you guys kind of been up to or, or plan on doing here in the, in the coming weeks? Really final prep. I mean, stands is big, blinds are big. Um, a little bit of trail work. We got some deer starting to show up, so I don't want to get too aggressive now, but you know, just that final prep, making sure we got our good in and out clean trails. Um, stands are all dialed in and we've been shooting the bows and, and the, the 10 points and maybe we can dive into a little bit outside of whitetail from scratch, or you can talk about a little bit, the, your plans with the crossbow, but then we can, you know, um, walk through some other exciting stuff we're doing with Adam. Well, one of the things, and it, it just came in today, um, we got the bladder from the banks, the banks, banks, blind hundred gallon bladder. We were at the ATA show and we were kind of walking around there and we were talking with the guys. They're great guys, by the way. In fact, they're right right down the road here. And so we were looking at some of the stuff that they're innovating and I saw this bladder. I'm like, JJ, we have got to get one of these things because right now we get these big 200 gallon totes and we fill them with water and we drive the old three quarter ton pickup out there, blah, 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 you know, and then we fill these tanks, and you, in this time of the year especially, it, you can get some real hot, you know, things going on, and deer start moving more, and things are going on. Anyway, they, they consume a lot of water this time of the year, all the way right up into that hunting season. And so you'll get your cold snaps, they'll get their fur, they'll start to get their, you know, their warmer coats on, and then also they'll get hot, and they need water, and they drink a lot of water. So we want to keep those, those uh, water tanks full. Um, and so being able to have this bladder, we can now put it on, if it comes in in time, the new electric Polaris that I've been waiting for and just salivating over. And this bladder fits on the back end of that little thing. And But we have an electric golf cart right now too, and we can put the bladder on the back of that. So we can slide in and out of these water holes during hunting season without, you know, blowing the woods up, blowing up the timber, blowing up the food plots. And so, and it may not sound like a big deal, but it's a big deal. Deer make their decision in the first 30 days to, to 45 days of the bow season, where they're going to feel comfortable at and where they're going to be, what they're going to do. And so we definitely want it to be our place. You know, I want to kind of, you're off and, and elaborate on that a little bit these water holes and then we'll get back to the the crossbow thing and plans but um so these water holes if you haven't heard about these in the past or, or seen a whitetails from scratch episode with them you know we're not talking about um water holes that you'd typically think of you guys kind of tried and experimented with uh these tubs but you didn't just throw a tub out there you know they're buried in the ground um how big are they you know I how think much they're water? about 150 gallon. 150 gallon. So just explain what they kind of look like and what the process was of putting these in because they're not. It wasn't like this big equipment out here and digging these elaborate water holes like a, a kind of a simple system that's you guys have had a lot of success with. Yeah, yeah, and we dove into that on some other podcast water holes. Talked about the benefits of you know the the tub versus digging it in and whatnot. Um, yeah, ours we dig in. Some people don't. They kind of lay them on top. I just feel like the deer, and I got video of it this year. I put a new one in Wisconsin, and you know, the first like three, four weeks when deer first see it, I have joke numbers on video mo mode over these. They, they tiptoe in there, and it's like they just look at it like they just freak what is out. going yeah. on here. Like, and it takes them three, 
you know, three weeks, I would say at least to feel comfortable. Maybe the scent, you know, washes away with rain and things like that. But yeah, these 150 gallon tubs are just dug straight in, um, you know, filled up to the top. We try to keep them full. Rain helps. And the deer just love them. I mean, you put them in spots where there's no water anywhere and then it's like a, one of the biggest attractants you could They're possibly have. They just They're love it, it. Um, especially a little secluded spot. But yeah, just a great, I don't know, I guess where I was going there. Well, I'll, um, well, I'll give you a transition. We, we of, dig them in though. Yeah, I'll give you a transition of why we dig them in too, because we started out getting um, feeder troughs and they're on the metal stands or a big long rectangle. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then they have holes in them to drain water. Then we would seal those holes up and then we used them as water tanks. So they're sitting up about, oh, knee high, I suppose, maybe a little higher than that. And so we'd fill them up with water. And what we found out was, once again, hesitant, but then they would start to use them. But what we did find out is that your bigger mature bucks weren't using them. They were in the area, but they just weren't using them. And... So then we started thinking, well, maybe, you know, we need to get them in the ground. And, this, and then we came up with this concept with these other big tanks and we buried them all the way down to the bottom. And same thing. They, they like JJ said, they took them a while. They were freaked out. But then once the does and fawns started to use it, well, now you got deer scent. And then the big bucks are going in these secluded areas. They started using them. And so then we knew we had something. Well, then it got to a point where so many deer were using them during these little hot spells They'd be drinking it so quickly, they'd go down, they'd, they'd start going down in a low level. So you'd see the deer get down on their front legs and so they could get their head down in there to get the water. And because we don't want to be in there all the time, you know what I mean? And so now we're thinking maybe we'll leave it ground level, but dig out the front maybe a foot or two so that they have an area where they can just kind of circle around and not have to get down on their knees in case the water levels get down low because they already know them. They already use them and they, they love them. So I think we're kind of there now. Yeah. We got a, you know, three, four of them buried across, you know, different areas, but we do have one extra that is not buried. And I was thinking we should do an, another experiment and put that in a spot and not bury it at all and put a camera on it and see, see what the deer do with that one. So don't bury it at all. What? Maybe you should put it down at least a couple it's feet the to keep grounds. it in there. It's the so testing grounds. Over. You won't know unless you. <laughs> so it's a thought. We got an extra one. So yeah, no, but it's... yeah, we bought them at the local, you know, egg, egg partners. Get them so anywhere. Nothing too complicated. Nope. So, kind of circling back here, some new gear, some new stuff that that kind of we're testing out this year. New products that you know are. are you know, going to hopefully increase everybody's odds when it comes to, to hunting. Um, one of those things is crossbows. So um, partnered with 10 point, they make, you know, some of the best crossbows out there. They've been a staple in the industry for a super, super long time. And, and uh, Adam, the one he was shooting yesterday is what, 505 Five feet per second. second. I mean, just flying, but really cool to see. Um, Adam's going to be hunting with a crossbow this year we can talk about that in a little bit but mike you hunted with a crossbow last year um it was kind of your first experience doing so um and your plan is to hunt with the crossbow again this year correct yeah i first time i'd ever shot a crossbow was last year and um yeah you know, why not i'm i'm not gonna say my age but i'm old enough to shoot it in minnesota um but no i i thought why not i mean you know 
it's it's a cool product, 10 point, you know, I mean, the brand, the technology, I mean, everything about it. if I'm going to shoot a crossbow, why wouldn't I shoot one of those? And, you know, once again, we go into everything with, I, I don't want to say the word pause, but we're testing this stuff out. You know, it's not like, oh, we're going to get this, we're going to use it all the time, we're going to promote it, everything else. No, if it don't work, we're not going to use it, you know. And our sponsors, our partners know that. Um, and so, yeah, I got the 10 point out, and I'm not really the scope kind of gun guy so much. I, In fact, I haven't shot a gun, and jeez, I bet I haven't shot a rifle since I was in the Marine Corps, and that was when I was 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Um so I've shot a lot of shotguns, but there's no scopes on shotguns when you're waterfall hunting in, in Upland. Um, but so it hasn't been a scope for a while. So you guys set that up for me. And then I got out there and I started testing it out. And I was just blown away by the efficiency of the weapon. And that's what, what started to kind of draw, draw it to me. Okay. It's not about the challenge of shooting the deer. Is it going to be easier or harder or whatever? That had, that, that, that's meaningless to me. Because I've already done everything from, you know, finger tabs to whatever. But it was more about the experience using a, an efficient piece of equipment because of all the money and the time and the effort that it takes to get a special deer or a deer that you want to take. And when I felt that this particular product was going to be extremely efficient, whether it's 20 yards, whatever, I wasn't worried about the challenge because I know how to bring deer in. I know how to, to read deer. I want to make sure that I killed that deer. You know what I mean? I thought, well, this is a good opportunity because now I can use one for my age. And, and it was an experience that shocked me, to be honest with you. Um, I'd never shot anything at an animal before with a crossbow. And so when that deer came out, and it was one of those deals where it's the first time I seen that deer in person during daylight hours, the entire year. And it was at a, a distance that obviously was, it was a little out, of, it was out of bow range, you know, unless you're an elk hunter, um, but it was out of bow range. But with that crossbow, when I looked into that site, it's like, I think I can take this shot. And so I made the decision, you know what? I'm going to take this shot because I had that confidence with the equipment and I squeezed off the trigger and, it was crazy. I mean, the whole, they're loud. It's, you know, the deer know something happened and they take off and everything's running around where normally I'm used to holding that bow back, seeing everything around me, you know, reading, what's he looking at? Is there a doe over there he's looking at? Is he going to go to the scrape? So you can see all that stuff unfold with a bow. You can't see that when you're looking through a scope. So that was a really weird change. But then when that bull took off and it hit that deer, it was just like lights out at 60, I think close to 60 yards. And the deer was just dead in a doornail within 30 yards. So if, if you wound that deer or if you miss that opportunity, you know, it just improved the chance. I just, I just loved the experience. And it was, it was a, a chance for us to get two of the very first deer. Um, JJ took the, the number one we were after and I got number two. And it was just, I can't say how great it was. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes into shooting a crossbow too than you would think. Like, you know, yesterday we we're sighting him in and, you know, walking Adam through that process. He's never 
really hunted much before. There's there's a lot more to it than just pick it up, aim, shoot. I mean, you're dialing these things in, takes multiple rounds of shots. These bolts are flying so fast, they're almost getting destroyed. And it's no different than, um, and I'll compare it to gun hunting, because I go way back to the old Orange Army days. I'm that old, and there was tons of us, and we'd all go out, and we'd smell like bacon, and, you know, I mean... It was one of those deals. So I've experienced all of that. Anything with an antler was a super trophy, but you were shooting any deer at any time in any situation. You didn't hold back on anything unless it was just so far you couldn't hit it. So that's the crossbow is more like the bow. It's just a distance issue. You still have to strategize. You still have to have the scent control. You still have to call that deer in. You still have to do all that. Just like with a bow, you're just getting more efficient with your tool at a further distance. And so I like it because it's going to get people who have never bow hunted probably into bow hunting. And it's also going to get people like me who have hunted their whole life. And I'm not going to say I'm burnt out on it because I'm not, but I don't care like I cared before. So if it's bad weather, or whatever, it'll get you out and feel more comfortable that you can be more efficient. Because, you know, when I'm climbing a, a tree stand at 30 feet, it's a totally different deal than it was when I was 25, 35, 45 years old. It's a different deal. You got to hold on three points of contact. You're pulling yourself up around that corner with that weird, awkward, with that heavy backpack and things change. And if I fall from 30 feet now, I'm going to hurt myself probably for the rest of my life. So things change, you know, your body changes, your mind changes, your experiences change. And so I think the crossbow is a good fit for our industry from bringing people up who've never experienced bow hunting to getting people who've hunted their whole life to stay out there longer and enjoy it more efficiently. I think that's a great way to put it. And it's all about the experience. And that's, I mean, you, you nailed it. You hit the, hit the nail on the head because, you know, everybody out there is, not everybody, but there are so many critics out there and you should hunt this way or you should hunt with this weapon or not hunt with this weapon or, right. you know, whatever else. And if you find one that you truly enjoy hunting with, or if you find something, and I don't care what it is, if it's the crossbow, if it's a certain tool or a product of any sort that helps you enjoy the outdoor experience more, it's exactly the reason that you have been successful and you designed, you know, these calls and illusion. It's, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, sure. It's it's to hopefully have be have people be more successful in harvesting big bucks. But in reality, and you preach it, it's to help people communicate with deer so that they can have a more enjoyable experience in the outdoors. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Am I right? Bottom line, that's it. You know, become more successful and have more fun and and have greater, better experiences. And that's that's what it's all about. And you know, if you're struggling or if you're new into archery, archery's challenging. And I, I would, I mean, I know for, I'm going to say pretty much 99.99999% of the people made a bad shot or have not been confident with their equipment in archery. Um, it's happened to everybody out there pretty much. I, I, in fact, I don't know anybody that hasn't. And, and I'm hasn't, sure somebody will. will come up, but yeah. But anyway, so... Um, you know, it's still a challenge. It's still getting close to them deer interacting. To be honest with you, the the hardest part of of hunting archery or crossbow or gun or whatever 
is getting deer close to you without them detecting that you're there or talking them into or interacting with them in a way that they feel is natural and they don't feel alarmed by it. I mean, that's the key to the whole thing. How you decide to harvest that, that animal is up to you, you know? I mean, when I have my steak, I don't harvest that animal. I just buy it from the store, you know? But it's the experience. It's really the experience. So talking about new hunters and, and getting into archery or hunting in general, so Adam Helwig, um, that is a giant part of, uh, you know, all of obviously our team and, and the production of, of Deer Society content, um, he heads up all the, the post-production side of things. But he, interestingly enough, has never hunted a day in his life. Adam, for deer. For deer. He got a couple turkey he, days he, in. He did get a couple turkey days in. Um, did not harvest one, but had a blast out there. Adam is a guy that uh, grew up and, and his family wasn't, they weren't hunters, right? And he never had a, a role model to, to teach him and take him in the outdoors and, and teach him those things about hunting. And Adam's worked now in the outdoor production industry for quite a long time. So, you know, it went from when he first started having to ask the difference between a scrape and a rub because he had no idea to now being a very knowledgeable person when it comes to hunting things. Like he could sit in a room and talk hunting with you. Now, he doesn't have that hands-on experience. Now he's been out there and he's filmed hunts and things like that. Um, but he's got two boys, one's four and a half and the other one's two and a half. And you know he has seen how hunted has molded people around him. He's seen me, he's seen you guys, and he's seen the, the, the way that it's, the way that it can teach lessons and uh, provide enjoyment and experiences that, you know, he never got to have in his life. But it, I think he's sitting there looking at it now, and he came to us last year, and he said, you know what, I, I would really like to start to learn to hunt myself, because it's important for me, because I want to teach my boys, and I want to raise them like that, because he's seen how, again, how it's molded people like us. So we are working on a film uh, for this fall through the Deer Society um, that uh, Adam is going to get out there and try to shoot his first deer. And, you know, part of that is he's going to be hunting with a 10-point crossbow. Um, I'm not going to get into this too much because Adam will be way better at telling this story, but Adam, uh, he can't physically shoot a, a compound bow, um, just something from his childhood. And, um he, a crossbow is absolutely a perfect tool for Adam. You know, he's a, he's not only a new hunter, um, but you know, also one that's really, that can really benefit from shooting a crossbow. Um, and it's been really fun. Like we've spent, you know, time here this summer, he, he got to come out and help plant some food plots with us. And, uh, you know, he's hang some trail cameras up and he's really experiencing that front end and that strategy and the planning and, and getting a taste of the work that goes in on the front end. Uh, you know, we went out yesterday and we were walking around and we were looking at different things, like things as simple as, uh, you know, deer tracks and, you know, nipped off beans where we're seeing brows and acorn drops and, and different things and doing some velvet scouting. So like, really, this isn't going to be a film that's like, here's a guy that's coming out here with a, a new product and he's just going to shoot a deer and that's going to be it. That we could do that. We could, well, honestly, these crossbows are so efficient. We could put it in his hands and say, 
you know, he could shoot it one time, we could take him out there and maybe get him on a deer and be successful. But that's not the purpose of this whole thing. It's to bring him in and teach him. It's, it's like yesterday, we, we spent time out at the Whitetails from Scratch shed and, you know, shooting crossbows and you were there, Mike, and you kind of took him under your wing and you said, look, here's, here's from top to bottom, like, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm not just going to put the bolt in your crossbow and say, put the crosshairs here and pull the trigger. Like you were, you walked him through that and Chris was there and obviously we were there too, but you know, walking him through the different things that you think about, not only just shooting a crossbow, but shooting in general and mindsets and, you know, trying to put him in, in, uh, situations that might even a little bit mimic, you know, what it's like to be out there in the woods and, and, well, and even prepare him because, you know, you're setting in the crossbow, blah, blah, blah. You're learning the mechanics and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Of, of the equipment and of the shooting, but what's going to happen to his mind to prepare him for that, you know, I think is pretty important too. And I, I just want to make a point here because I d- didn't really realize that that was the way you guys were kind of working this whole film thing. But so this is a first time deal for a first time hunter. And the reason that sticks with me is because I'm that guy. Nobody in my family ever hunted, ever. And my dad just said, all right, Mike, friend of mine hunts. He took me and let me go out with him and we did a pheasant hunt. And then he bought me a 22 when I was old enough and I went through gun training. That's the only experience of hunting or firearms of anything in my entire life. And I mean, I, I don't want to make a, a weird statement here, but I would say that one simple opportunity that I was given to see if I liked it or if I would take to it has had a pretty big impact, I think, on the industry of hunting. That one person, you know, and I'm not trying to toot my horn or anything like that. I'm just saying these experiences and these opportunities are so important. And, you know, you can't just blow it off. Like, oh, they're not, they're not going to hunt, you know, no big deal. Focus on myself. No, that, that's not really what this is about. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, I, I'm super excited to see, you know, how it all plays out. And there's obviously been a, a lot of work already that's gone into it and, and will be a lot of work throughout the fall, but, um, really good stuff. I'll be interested to see how Adam reacts to the whole thing because he's, he's seen it lots, you know, from behind the lens or behind the computer screen. But as we know, there's such a difference when you're the one sitting there behind the trigger, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, that's an unexplainable feeling and that's what keeps us among other things, but that's what keeps us coming back and, and continuing to chase it. So anyways, that's kind of a, a 30,000 foot view into a, a project that, that we're working on this fall. That's going to be really exciting, um, coming out. Yeah. And one other cool thing is <clears throat> being that he's not a hunter quite yet. Um, but he's a phenomenal editor or producer of hunting shows. It's, I think it's going to give him a, a new like perspective too on, when he's building hunt breakdowns and hunts, he's going to have that feeling of like, oh, here comes the buck. Like, what music should I that, choose? That's like, a great point. What are the sound effects? And it might even elevate, even though he's already great at it, his editing a little bit. Yeah, because he'll, he'll, he'll now know what that emotion is and not just watch it, but he'll actually experience it, you know? And like I say, it's kind of cool that he, he wants to do that because he has kids. I mean... I'll go back to that deal. Well, what if I wasn't given that opportunity and, and, you know, things hadn't changed in the industry. And when I, when I talk about that, it's, it's my kids have changed this industry. You know what I mean? As much, if not more than me, I'm pretty much out of the picture now. They run the whole show. 
And so all this new stuff that's coming out and all these new instinctive things and all these hunts and all this expansion, you know, is all coming from that next generation. So the, the two generations ago, somebody gave someone an opportunity and two generations later, because of that opportunity, because of that person made that choice, big things are happening. You know, it's pretty cool. Well, I know lots of good things coming, JJ. You know, obviously you're still hunting with your, your compound. You were out there shooting yesterday, getting prepared. I think that's a big thing, you know, right now with the season coming, like get your gear ready. Uh, you know, white tails from scratch. We're coming out with an episode here coming up just, you know, on everything that we, we've done, but uh, everything that we're doing to prepare now to like, it's, it's getting the clothing in, you know, we got a new shipment of Osseo coming next week. Everybody's going to be getting it out, getting it air dried, getting it through the phase system and really just getting it prepped, you know, everything dialed in. So when the season gets here, you're not chasing your tail and, and, uh, all your gear is clean and ready to roll. Yeah. Or, uh, <clears throat> we'll be as prepared as possible, but there's always that one stand you got to just leave, you know, extra cause you got to make that move, but that's a strategy thing. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, exciting times, exciting things coming. Hunt breakdowns are now dropping officially for this year. So a really great lineup of hunt breakdowns this year. There's some awesome content, some great storylines. So make sure you check those out on YouTube. Um, if you're watching on YouTube now, make sure you subscribe. If you haven't yet, download the Deer Study app. It's free. So much good content on there. Uh, we appreciate you watching, listening, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time. All our sponsors here at Deer Society are partners whose equipment we know we can trust are going to make you more successful and have a better experience in the field. Products like Illusion Systems, maker of the Black Rack, the Extinguisher, and the Phase Body Odor System. Tacticam, Reveal Cell Cameras, 10-Point Crossbows, Onyx Maps, Osseo Gear, Huyman, and Big Frig.